Welcome to Eat, Drink, Innovate, the podcast about food startups, innovators and entrepreneurs who are making their mark in Australia's dynamic food and beverage industry. The future of food is happening here. Come join Susie White at the table to eat, drink and innovate. Aha! Hi everyone, I'm Susie White and welcome to Episode 5 of Eat, Drink, Innovate. Today I'm talking with Sam Tucker of Tucker's Natural. Since founding Tucker's Natural in 2007, Sam and his wife Cindy have been recognised by some of Australia's most prestigious food awards for making the best quality crackers, biscuits, fruit pastes and snacks in class. And it's a jam-packed episode because you'll also learn about the three innovation strategies you might use in your business to help predict the right launch time for new products. Welcome to the podcast, Sam. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Susie. Uh, Look, it's a pleasure. It would be great to start off and talk a little bit about what you do and what Tucker's Natural does. Yeah, well, I'm the managing director of Tucker's Natural and... um, we make a natural range, uh, GMO-free natural range of gourmet crackers, uh, healthy snacks and condiments, basically catering to uh, the entertaining occasion and also that healthy snacking space. So they're the two things we focus on as a business. And let's talk about how you started this business. You mentioned you started in 2007. What, what were you doing before that, uh, Sam, and what kind of made you think about starting this business? Yeah, so my history in the food industry goes a long way back. So I was um, first christened to the food manufacturing space about 23 years ago. I was in international hotels and I'm a qualified chef and done hotel management. And and I decided that I really wanted to stick my teeth into something more, um, more meaningful, I guess. And I came back to Adelaide in 1997 and got involved with a bakery called Mount Barker Bakery here in here in Adelaide. So at some point there, I managed to get my hands on a business called the Great Australian Gingerbread Company, which gave me the first foray into manufacturing biscuits. So I took that business, started making biscuits myself in a very small and modest production space, grew that up, and that's how I got into biscuit making. And what was the appeal, Sam, of stepping out of that bakery and starting your own business? I knew that I wanted to do my own thing and, you know, make my own decisions, manage my own business, manage my own outcome. And I think that was the real, the real driver behind. I could see there was an opportunity there. And because I was involved in the making of the product, I knew we could make it, we could do it better and, and that I could drive that business. And so, Sam, why aren't I talking to you today about the Great Australian Gingerbread Company? What changed? So there was sort of a moment in time there where it was a case of, oh, this product life cycle and this business life cycle was sort of was heading to an end, and there was that time that you know I, I think I'd, I'd matured as a person. I was starting to get into a family environment. I'm looking at the food that that um, that we're eating and and looking at what we were making and saying, look, there's a lot of sugars, there's colours, there's there's things in this product that don't necessarily agree with my core value, and so there was an opportunity to inject my core values into a brand and a product that 
you know, I would feed my family that I would hope that other people would, would eat and appreciate. And that's where the Tucker's um, Gourmet Cracker Range was born. So you've been running this successful gingerbread business for about 11 years and decide to make this switch and go into Gourmet Crackers instead. What was that transition like into launching Tucker's? Well, when it launched, it, it took us by surprise just how big a manufacturing challenge it was, it was for our business and the size that we were. Um, you know, we thought we were something decent being a national gingerbread supplier. Well, if you go into the main biscuit aisle, you know, it's, it's a huge step up in terms of expected output and volumes and, and, and keeping stock on shelves. Did you know much about the cracker and biscuit market at that stage, Sam? Was that something you, you kind of knew a lot about? Oh, certainly not as much as I know now, but... Um, the, the, and that's the hard way. No, oh, look, I, I'll be honest, we were probably a little bit a little bit green going in. I didn't, I guess, didn't realise how big that market is. If if you're a, you know, if you if you're a major supplier in that space, and on the reverse of that, how much investment you need to be able to maintain, expand, and grow that opportunity. So it's incredibly demanding. It's highly impulse. It's got some extremely big competitors in there. I, we, I think we walked in quite naively and with a, with a you know, with a, with a good strategy. But um, over time, that has been tested. There's no doubt about that. And let's talk about the products you, you did start with because they are artisanal. They are gourmet. They're not your basic round cracker. So tell me about sort of your choices of ingredients and why you decided to make it look like that and feel like the product does. When we set out to make the original product we said we wanted we wanted something that looked beautiful we wanted something with a strong point of difference we wanted something that had that great handmade feel um, and we wanted to use the best sort of you know best local and natural ingredients in the mix that we could so we we were literally and we still do literally get fresh herbs and hand chop them and blend them through our product so um, the level of authenticity and transparency in our products has always been something that we've we've strived for. And you did mention how how tricky it was with the equipment and the setup and also the scaling up. When you started and you made that transition, you know who was with you and, and where were you operating at that stage? Was the equipment you had enough, or did you have to invest at that stage quite heavily? Yeah, I think I think as I said, we we didn't quite know what we were in for. We we had dough breaks and and sheeting machines and you know a sort of a handmade cutter and 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 various bits and pieces. Um, one oven, for instance. Yeah, we we found ourselves and um, my poor wife and and family and everyone that we could possibly recruit, our designers, everyone sitting sitting in at the production facility, which was a modest. 500 square meters which included office and car park and we were sheeting these products back and forth on the dough break hand cutting them at the end through this tiny donut machine and then running them off onto baker's paper and cutting them into cutting them <laughs> as they were coming off the line into tray lengths and then baking them in one oven now that capacity and output was well below what we needed to be able to keep up with supply. Um, so we were there day, night. Um, I still remember we, we had a, a, a 120B Datsun manual forklift 
and we'd wrestle these pallets three and four high in and out of this facility. And, and by the end of the day, we had everything that had to go out in the car park. And it, if it wasn't picked up, there was no, no way it could go back inside. So we'd have to stay back and make sure the truck came, collected collected what was being dispatched for the day and take it away. So they're, they're fond memories, but they were difficult at the time. Can you tell me about, you know, when you very first started up, when was sort of your big break in that area? Who did you get it with? And when did you think, yeah, this is this is going to scale up? So we, we had the product. We had a, a design for the packaging. We were engaging with, it was Woolworths at the time, and the buyer there was giving us the feedback that the product looked good. The packaging wasn't quite right. It didn't sell the proposition strongly enough. And um, there was a, a gentleman who is a really good friend of mine who owned a branding agency, and I just happened to be having having a discussion with him. Damasi Jones is their, their agency, and, and I'm saying to him, oh, look, I've got this, you know, I've got this product and supermarkets interested, but they're not happy with, you know, they're not quite happy with the way we're presenting it. And, he, and he's kind of, well, that's what I do for a living. Like, you you know, you silly man, like, bring it to me and show me what we're doing. And, and so we did. And he charged me a fortune and came up with my own surname as the brand. And we took this beautiful photography we we worked on the story we worked on the you know the whole proposition so that it all tied in through the packaging and the messaging and and next thing you know we were on Woolworths shelves nationally with three products and then within a month and a half Coles took us on as well (laughs) and that's when reality hit. Did did you have to scale up fast how did you do that? We, we didn't know what we were in for, I don't think. So we, we were working days, nights, weekends, the whole lot. Like it was just, it was throw throw everything, including the kitchen sink at manufacturing. And um, and we managed to hang in there. But today you couldn't, you, you know, we wouldn't have been able to produce enough today to satisfy those customers. And it's interesting how far the market's moved within that time, just in the last 10 years, how, demand, how, much, how much higher the demand is in that same space. So, so fortunately, you've grown as the market has grown. <laughs> it's more people entering that category. Absolutely. I think we've grown by the skin of our teeth the whole time. It's been that sharper ride. It, it feels like you have sort of caught the tiger by the tail almost. Five years ago, we thought we were geniuses and, and the market wasn't quite there. And now the market's there and we're, we're very well positioned, which is great. But geez, those, those five years were, were tough because you had products that were, were being innovative in the space that weren't catching on. So you sort of get given an opportunity and if it doesn't go, then you have to go back to building up the confidence of your customers again to give you another opportunity. So um, it's been a difficult ride when you're pushing the boundaries of trends and innovation. It's time for a quick break now. When we come back, you'll hear how Sam of Tucker's Natural launched an extensive range of new products that would keep his business ahead of the fast-paced snacking category. Hey, everyone. Just a quick thanks to today's sponsor who helped make this podcast possible. It's the Food Innovation Centre at Monash University. They can help you fast-track and de-risk your new products in the Australian market or export markets like China. Did you know that only one in 10 food and beverage products survive the first year of launch? That means nine out of 10 fail. If you'd like to be one of the businesses that gets it right, the Food Innovation Centre at Monash can help. 
They can design and bring your new product ideas to life with rapid design and prototyping and help you understand your shopper better and product performance on shelf. They can also get you connected to build a network with like-minded businesses. Check them out at www.foodinnovationcenter.com and see how they can help grow your business through innovation. Welcome back. I'm Susie White, and today I'm talking with Sam Tucker of Tucker's Naturals. Now, so far we've heard how in the first five years of business, Sam entered the dynamic cracker category and had to rapidly build up his product and manufacturing capability. And looking at their business today, some 10 years later, they have an enviable portfolio of products such as the original gourmet crackers, dessert biscuits, gourmet bites and gluten-free bites, multi-fiber snacks and snack bites, a new tiny dippers for kids range, and more recently, fruit pastes. That's a lot of products. So I asked Sam to share with us his journey of new product development and talk about how he knew what to launch and when to launch it. Yeah, well, look, I think on the back of the success of our um, initial gourmet cracker range, um, I think we, we thought we were a bit clever than we were. So the dessert biscuits is a great example of that. So we, we launched this beautiful range of dessert biscuits, chocolate, vanilla, coffee and honey. And um, unfortunately, we were way ahead of the consumer, way ahead of the times, and, um, and and no one really understood them. And of course, they knew us for crackers. So they were thinking, well, what do I do with it? Um, and the moment you've got to tell a consumer what, what they're going to do with something, you're in trouble. <laughs> That wasn't the smartest of moves, but um, but we still I still <laughs> resiliently keep that chop the chocolate one from that range in, in in availability. People still talk about it, so it's it's quite a unique unique talking point for Tuckers. Um, but then we saw you know as this health and functional ingredient space was going to be the future again, perhaps a bit too early on it. So we were we're a, a victim of our own innovation. So where we're seeing the consumer now, we were we were probably there five years ago, um, but we're well positioned now to take advantage of that. So our new vitamin rich kids snacks, our you know high fiber um, fiber pack snacks, our gourmet bites, and those kinds of products are all sort of geared into that. Um, consumer looking for a, a, a more healthy, still tasty though, and nutritional product for them, them and their family to enjoy. I think you're right. Trying to understand where consumers' tastes are and preferences are and getting that at, in market at the right time is a challenge for anybody in the food space. I mean, how did you know where consumers were going and what they were looking for? I do a lot of research into what's happening around the globe. Sometimes you can get a bit too excited and get a bit too niche in your thinking. But certainly the whole global tone for healthier foods, healthier snacking, you know, that's sort of inspired us to, to keep driving down the path of discovering ingredients that might be unique to us in Australia. And But on the flip side of that, equally listen to the consumers. Because I think the consumers, uh, they, while they want to eat healthy, they still want flavour. <laughs> they still want to spoil themselves. So... There's a very fine line that you you can you can tread. You can you can go too healthy and miss the mark on what the consumer is willing to accept. It seems as though you've now got some really good synergies and you're leveraging your capabilities, Sam, with this quite extensive cracker range. 
Where do the fruit pastes fit into that? The move into fruit paste was, I guess, we, we identified those two spaces, entertaining and snacking. So they're the two places that we believe that our brand sits best. And so they're the opportunities that we see continuing to develop products for. So strategically, that's a good fit for your brand. But did you have to make that yourselves? So there's two examples of uh, where we've been able to expand the business to other businesses' manufacturing capabilities. And and the, the fruit paste is one of them. And our gluten-free crackers is, an, is another one. Um, so... We've, we've partnered with some great strategic partners and we've been able to bring other products to the range that we wouldn't have been able to um, without some serious investment. It, it leads in nicely too with my next question, which is, you know, how high is up for the Tucker's business? I mean, obviously you've already started thinking beyond crackers. You know, where, where, you know what sort of business, what's your aspirations for this business long term? You know, it, it, when it comes, it comes back down to the core, this core value around my family. I, the reason I got into Tucker's um, was to make sure that my wife and I and then our children were eating the kinds of products that we'd be happy to feed our own family um, and that they weren't they weren't available on the market at that time. So that's where you know my inspiration comes from. it's 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 about developing products that um, suit healthy and um, um, you know the healthy healthy family lifestyle that I want to feed my children um, that that will give them nutrition and 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 make them healthy and and fit so that's sort of the inspiration I guess behind the drivers within the business. Where do I see it going? Look, it would be nice to think that I can hang on for the next generation. <laughs> got three young boys they um, they may or may not be interested in the business i'm i'm not sure but uh but it would be nice to have the option that that at some point they might be uh, might be interested in doing so and how involved are the boys now do they kind of hang around and see what dad does yeah they they're probably the best advert certainly at school for all the new products they've been touting around with these new vitamin rich snacks to all the kids at school who have, who have then dutifully gone home and told their parents and and the mums have gone mums and dads have gone out and bought the product which is wonderful and do you or they still go in the shelf and say look there it is there it is <laughs> I, i'm almost banned from shopping with my wife because i'm we get to the biscuit aisle and I'm merchandising our products so that they're all facing the right way and tickets in the right spot and everything else. And Sam, how has your role changed over time? You know, you mentioned kind of wandering down those supermarket shelves and fixing the merchandising. I'm imagining you probably don't have a lot of time to do that anymore. What if, what has changed for you the most over time with the size of your team growing as well? The creative sales networking, you know, that, that side of things has been my strength. So I've had to put my MBA hat back on more seriously and, and really utilize those skills and really understand how best to manage people and how, how best to manage all of those things because I can travel the world and sell as much as I like but if we don't do a good job of making it efficiently and effectively then it's just a waste of time. Do, do you miss the hands-on? Do you miss not personally cutting those cookies? <laughs> I, I, look, I get out the back and make sure I'm I'm seen here and there and, and jump in at times when we're in great distress. But um, there's an old saying about don't, don't let the, man, the general manager out the back to touch anything, they'll break it. 
That's about right. I think they do a much better job than I do and are much faster than I do. (laughs) And do you feel like you've caught up, Sam? Do you feel like you're on the crest of that wave now or do you feel like that wave is always going to be pushing you harder and further? I think this space is so dynamic. I I mean, I I guess you look to build product that, that resonates with the consumer and that can can then hold its position in the category and and give you a foundation to then develop new new products and new opportunities beyond that. And it might be, you know, we might launch, being an artisan-style producer, we might launch four flavours or we might launch six flavours. might get excited and launch six. It can happen. And, um, you know, two of those might stick. And But... It's it's giving you a foot into that new space, um, and then we move on to identifying where the consumer is going next. And Sam, what do you do with those two products that don't stick? Is that just a cost of doing business now? You think that that's kind of the the, the run rate that that's the percentage of success and fail? Yeah, I, look, I, I do. I think you've got to be honest with yourself, um, which is tough when you create things. You, you're invested. You're you're passionate about them. We don't bring things to market that we would need ourselves and that we, we don't see the benefits in eating. And, yeah, it's it's tough when you see the sales either don't fire or you can't get the distribution for the product. And I know this is a bit like me asking who's your favourite child, but do you have a favourite product? Is there one that you're especially proud of? At this at this point in time, I'm super, super proud of this new Vitapack Kids Snacks. You know, it's taken two years to develop and we work with the uh, scientific community to formulate the right blend of vitamins. That is the foundation for children's regular healthy growth and development, which is what I want to see my kids and I'd rather them eat a Vitapack snack than a have a tablet <laughs> with vitamins in it or a sugar g- jelly or whatever they are. So I'd, I'd rather see them do that and know that they're eating something nutritious and getting fibre and those things in that in that snack as well. So very proud of that. But if you were to ask me what the star of the business is, you, you can't go past Rosemary and Roxol, our gourmet crackers. Now let's change gears, Sam, and talk about overseas. Where is Tucker's Natural at in terms of exporting? Yeah, yeah, we sell to about 14 countries outside of Australia. We've we've sort of been just learning these markets. It's essential to have the right partners, um, and then it's essential to also have the right strategy for the market. Each market is like a mini Australia, <laughs> so it's a lot to manage. It's a lot to take on. There are some markets that understand us as the way we are, and there are other markets, which is a lot of Asia. I think you need to think your strategy about and tailor product to those markets rather than take your Western product and expect them to understand it. And Sam, considering how big your business is and the level of success you've had, has anyone come nibbling? I mean, have you had any approaches to purchase your business? At this stage, you know, I, I try I try not to get caught up in that and then get caught up in the emotion of it as well. <laughs> so um, there's always someone around that's interested because we've got a strong brand and, and as I said, it's a, it's a very competitive space. So... 
And it's very difficult for these big companies to have the authenticity of a brand like, you know, the Tuckers, which has been built around our family core values. You've clearly got a, a really attractive growing business, Sam. And I'm just thinking back on the journey you've been on in scaling it up and getting to the point where it is. Is it what you expected it to be? Is this living the dream? <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> yeah, allegedly, it still is. <laughs> I think one of my favourite comments is um, standing, at, standing at the Good Food and Wine show and, and the consumers picked up the, the product and, and said, oh, the, people, the guy that started this, he must be a multi-millionaire by now. And I was sitting there shaking my head thinking he's multi-millions in debt. So um, it's... Look, it, it 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 is living the dream. Yes, it is. It's one look. It's wonderful to see your product and your heart and soul on a shelf in in the major supermarkets and 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 humbling to see it in in supermarkets around the world. But this industry that we're in, this FMCG space, is fiercely competitive, incredibly resource hungry, um, and and investment hungry. So it's it's a very difficult place to to play and maintain a brand. If there were people listening thinking, yeah, I, that sounds awesome. That's exactly what I want to do. I always wanted to start up my own food business or drinks business. What advice would you give to them? I, I say start small and be very strategic in your thinking. So you can start in the kitchen. <laughs> we all do. Test recipes and those sorts of things. And then you go to the next level, small production. I think if you're going to take that next step, you really need the right capability. So either you can invest in that capability to make sure you're an efficient and competitive manufacturer or you go and look for someone, a partner that has that capability that can give you that head start. I love that advice about low risk, low investment. That's a great way to test first. Don't necessarily have to buy everything yourself before you've proven have you got a winning product. And Sam, wrapping up, where can people find more about you or your business and where to buy your products? Um, probably the best source of information is our website. So that's tuckersnatural.com.au Facebook of course and um, Instagram you'll find us on there as well. Well look thank you so much for for discussing it today Sam. I love hearing people's startup stories and yours has been particularly inspiring. It it does feel like you're on that wave of success and it's a very big wave and a fast moving one so I'm going to wish you every luck in the future particularly with your expansion beyond Australia and um, I just can't wait to see where else Tuckers Natural pops up. Oh, thank you, Susie. Appreciate the uh, the opportunity to talk to you, and and certainly, yeah, the um, the optimism because we feed off positivity, and it's good to hear it. <laughs> you are welcome. You are welcome. Bye then. Aftertaste: the sweet taste of success. Hi everyone. Thanks for sticking around. In this part of the podcast, I think back on my chat with Sam Tucker of Tucker's Natural and share some insights into successful product innovation strategies that might help your business. Today, I'm going to be talking about three strategies for launching product innovation. Now, in his enthusiasm to build his business, plus facing the sheer pressure from the dynamic snacking category, Sam himself suggested that he may have gone to market too early with some of his new cracker products. In fact, he said, we were a victim of our own innovation. We were there five years too early. And I think this is a great topic to talk about because there really is no roadmap for when to launch new products. 
However, there are some guiding strategies that might help you with this decision. And you can find these in the Innovation Spectrum model. This was developed by Happen Innovators. This model shows the different role a new product can play depending on the maturity of the category in which you're competing. Now, a category life cycle is typically represented by a curve on a chart. It reflects the gradual growth at category infancy, all the way up to the accelerated growth in a growing category, to the flattening growth in a mature category. And based on a category's maturity level, different innovation strategies can be used. Let me walk you through those now. The first one is a strengthened strategy. This is when you focus on building and strengthening your existing products through incremental changes like new flavor extensions or new ingredient additions or even design improvements. It's continuous and it's usually relatively low cost and low impact. Now, Sam of Tucker's Natural used a strengthened strategy in his early years of business whenever he added a new flavor to his first range of gourmet savory crackers. This type of innovation works really well in categories which are still in their infancy as it drives awareness of the whole product range. It also attracts new users and increases the purchase repertoire of existing users. So let's talk now about the second type of innovation launch strategy you can use, and that's called a stretch strategy. This approach really drives extra growth through bigger product changes, such as new recipes, product formats, or packaging changes, which are new to your business. It tends to generate more sales impact and return because it opens up new markets or consumer opportunities. For Tucker's Natural, this occurred when they launched the gluten-free crackers and things like the Gourmet Bites snacking range. It really helped them stand out in a growing market that was becoming increasingly crowded with gourmet cracker competitors. So this launch strategy can help you attract new sets of consumers with very different needs while still leveraging your brand or product capabilities. And lastly, the final product launch strategy you could try is called a super seed strategy. Now, this approach can be high impact as it aims to supersede existing products in a category. These game-changing products can redefine a category or satisfy a whole new consumer group. A superseed strategy tends to work best when a category is at its maturity. Competition is fierce and growth is stagnating, so significantly new and improved product offers are needed to attract consumer interest. The recent Tucker Natural launch of Tiny Dippers, that healthy snack option for kids that's packed full of natural vitamins and minerals, that's a good example of a superseed strategy. So what does this all mean for your business? Well, if you want your new product ideas to succeed, it's helpful to understand your category life cycle stage and ensure you're bringing to market the right type of product innovation to make the impact you need. To understand how established your category is, whether it's in infancy or growth or maturity, simply review the existing products in that category and the type of new products being launched. That'll give you a really good idea of what life cycle stage it's at. 
And by considering each new product you want to launch and the category it will play in, you've got a better chance of predicting the right time to launch your new product into that marketplace to get the kind of results you really want. Thank you so much for listening to the Eat, Drink, Innovate podcast. If you would like a free download of these three product innovation strategies, just go online and you'll find them in the podcast show notes for episode five, or you can find them on page 134 of my book, Innovation Feast, How to Create New Product Ideas to Feed Your Hungry Business. It's available for sale on Amazon, Book Depository, or Booktopia. Join me again next time to eat, drink, and innovate. Do you have any suggestions about successful food or beverage entrepreneurs and innovators in Australia that you think Susie should be talking to? You can get in touch with her at eatdrinkinnovate.com.au forward slash podcast and find all the show note links and innovation resources there too. And if you like this podcast, please help others discover it by leaving a review on Apple Podcast, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts from. 